Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. We're going old school tonight with just the two of us. And uh, we are running a little bit behind because we were starting uh, we're starting a little bit late because I was over at Wrestling, another House of Bricks charity event. Great turnout. Thank you for everybody that came out. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of fans at these wrestling events too, Matt. They, they are out there. They're, they're cheering for me now because they recognize me as being the ring announcer again and again. So... I always make sure I put myself over at some point and tell everybody, make sure you tune in to Spooky South Coast for great paranormal talk, because that's what we do each and every Saturday night. And we're going to get right into our night. We're going to be joined a little bit later on tonight by Ben Jeffries. We're going to be talking about the history of the boogeyman. And I re I'm really looking forward to this discussion because there's so many different ways to go with this and so many different things that I want to talk about. I wish Moniz was here so we could have our usual UFO argument about whether or not UFOs are just modern boogeymen. Uh, but we'll talk about that with Ben Jeffries coming up in just a bit. But before we get into that, we're going to jump right into things with our first guest for the night. Uh, he is joining us. He is from. He is the executive producer of a new series coming out from Next VR. It's called Paranormal Evidence, and Michael Watchalonis joins us right now on the phone. Michael, did I did I get your name right? Uh, you got it right. All right, Thanks. good. I know that I was a little concerned before, but. You know, when you when you spend the night announcing names like, uh, you know, the Righteous Knight Gaston and the Brick David Baker, sometimes uh, the regular names are the ones that, you know, you run a follow with. So No worries, you nailed it. All right, well, I've, I've had the opportunity uh, to see some of the uh, video from this series and to see what you guys have coming down with paranormal evidence. This is something that I've been waiting to see because I'm a VR guy. You know, I went out and I got the... the, uh, the the Viewmaster, and I started using that for like Google Cardboard stuff, and then uh, then we got the the Samsung Gear VR, and I've totally fallen in love with the world of virtual reality. And now you're combining the other thing that I love with virtual reality. Oh, that's great! So you did see uh, what at least the trailer in uh, VR? Yes, I saw. Well, I didn't see it in VR. I just saw some of the videos. I didn't know I could watch it in VR. Oh, oh yeah, man. The uh, the trailer is already up and available. So, yeah, oh, man, I'm going home. I encourage you to check it out. I'm going home and getting my Samsung uh, Gear VR. So, you know, you guys just talk. I'll be right back. No. All right, fire it up. <laughs> I'll do that as soon as I get home. But uh, this, okay. this, is, this is awesome because for people who have never actually been into a haunted, been in a haunted place and, and experienced what it's like, I didn't even see it in VR. I just saw the regular videos. And... I could feel that, that tension. I could feel that feeling that I get when I go into haunted locations. Well, I'm glad. Uh, I want, definitely want you to see in VR, and then I want to hear your opinion of it, because the difference between seeing, of it, seeing it in 2D, um, I'm glad it was impactful in 2D. But when you put on the headset, um, you are there in, in, I mean, we call it VR, virtual reality, but you are there in high-quality 3D uh, HD virtual reality, and you feel like you are standing there uh, in the room with the investigators. And, you know, it's, it's, it's 180 degrees, so your field of view is filled, and, and you, you are free to look around the room. And with our, uh, we had specially built, you know, infrared uh, camera systems uh, built. So, you know, you are seeing things that even our investigators can't see. We give them, at most, a flashlight, Sometimes they're only going by, you know, the little LED lights that are, that are on the camera that says it's red and it's recording, and they can barely see anything. 
So when the investigators are looking around, you can see far more than they can. And really, you swear you are there in the room with them. And you are, when you put your headphones on, you are totally immersed in the audio. And you can hear, what's really amazing is you can hear something's happening on the right, something's happening on the left, and you know where to look. And what's great about it is you picked a, a perfect location to start off the series with because you're in a place that's one of the, like, holy grail bucket list paranormal locations. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's what we decided when we did this. We said if we're, if we're going to, you know, basically spend all this time, we're going to do it right. First off, we're going to do the research. Uh, no, not only what are the most notoriously haunted locations, but we're going to do our historical research. So we're not just going to show up and say, you know, what do, we, what do we see, what do we hear, what do we think happened here, what, what have other people captured here. We did deep historical research, uh, not only the history of the building, but the history of other paranormal investigations. So we could, you know, go after specific other facts and events and things that people have claimed. So we could focus our efforts and not go into other areas of the building where we probably wouldn't get anything. And, and of course, this, uh, this being Pennhurst Asylum, and, uh, and in, in particular, Mayflower Hall, which is where some of the most craziest experiences have happened over the years. Uh, now, I guess the question that I have as a, as a paranormal investigator and as a person who runs paranormal events, how much of what we're seeing in this episode is stuff that actually happened? How much of it is stuff that has been put together uh, for a narrative, for a storyline, for the VR experience? So I, I would say, well, first off, we don't fake anything. So there's nothing fake. So when you hear, when you hear a sound, I mean, we got, we got some really creepy, creepy things. And I was, when I first did my first paranormal show, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I was a total skeptic. Uh, but we, we, every time I do this, we capture more and more creepy things. But every single sound, every image, there's nothing, absolutely nothing fake. The only thing we ever do is when... One of our investigators sees something that, say, they see a, a form in a doorway and it's out of, our, uh, out of our sight. We will clearly tell you, here's what our investigator described that he or she saw, and then we'll show it to you. But otherwise, if you see it, you hear it, you see things, you'll, you'll see something fly in the room. Um, you'll hear noises behind the camera or behind the investigator. And with your, your headphones on, you can, you can tell like you're in the room exactly where that thing came from. And there's nothing that you can see. And, and so this is an experienced team of investigators that we're, we're experiencing this uh, visit to Mayflower Hall with. Yeah, yeah. They've been uh, about half the team, more than half the team, actually, as, as we've been doing this for about three years. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't filmed all of it, uh, but I did this in, in another project. But, yeah, they're, in, they're very experienced. And so what we do is, um, because we do our research, we know where we can go. So we, where the best places are. So we'll go for Pennhurst. Specifically, we, we knew we should go to the cellar because there's supposed to be something, you know, uh, dark and potentially angry down there that will, you'll hear voices, somebody will be touched, pushed, grabbed. Um, so, you know, we'd actually focused in the cellar and we got some scary stuff down there. Uh, the attic, there have been reports um, of a little girl who's in the hallways and she darts into the rooms. Like, you'll see a little shape of a girl out of the corner of your eye. And then, boom, she's gone, and she darts away into, into one of the side rooms. So we focused on that. What I like about the experience of, of, of virtual reality, of being in that moment, is it's so easy to forget where you are. It's so like, I, I just play around, and you know maybe I'll do something where I'm in a shark cage or something, and I, just, I feel like I'm underwater. I feel like I'm there experiencing that. And 
to be able to put yourself into these places in that regard, first of all, it, it gives you, if you're not, if you're not a person who is familiar with investigation and you were always wondered about it, it gives you that experience. But if you are a seasoned investigator, it's a good way to kind of hone your skills a little bit and experience these places still in your own living room. So it works for both. I mean, it's, it's certainly not something where uh, you can say to yourself, oh, you know, I've been doing this for years. I wouldn't enjoy that. No, absolutely. You will definitely enjoy this. Yeah, and actually and one, of the, one of the really nice things about uh, VR is that, uh, first of all, we shoot in, in a really ultra-high-definition uh, 3D. So you are seeing everything in 3D, and you can, con- you can go back, because you have the ability to look around the room, you're, basically you're standing there in the room while the investigation is happening, right? We cut back and forth between different rooms, different investigators, different events are happening. But the second time you watch it, or the third time you're watching it, it's a different show. Because the first time you watch it, you're watching the investigators and what's happening to them. And then the second time you watch it, oh, wait a minute, I think I just heard something in my right ear. You look, and it's a, it's a whole different show. It's a whole new experience. What I like, too, is that uh, you know, you're know you saying that this is a, a series and that this is the first in the series. So I'm assuming that you've got other plans to go to other places, or maybe you already have and you're putting them together, that this is going to be some place where uh, so, some way to experience some of the great paranormal hangouts of the world uh, all through the eyes of virtual reality. Yes, absolutely. We actually have already shot uh, in other places, and uh, we're, 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 uh, we're going to tease you a little bit on that. I'm not going to tell you what, you know, what it is, what the next episode is, but... I'll tell you that in, uh, if you think about like the top three or four places in the United States, if you wanted to go and do this, like a place like Penhurst, that's the next episode. Sounds good to me. Uh, so Paranormal Evidence is the name of it. it, it the trailer dropped yesterday. The, uh, the trailer is in VR. And then uh, on August 1st, that's when people can get the full episode. How, how would they go about both downloading the episode and also what would they need to be able to view it? Sure. Good question. So... Uh, so right now, the um, next VR is on two platforms. One is the Gear VR. So if you have uh, one of the newer Samsung phones you, and you have a Gear VR headset, you download the app. It's free, and you can uh, fire it up, go to Next VR, and watch an episode. And then you can, of course, you can watch the live sports events and concerts and other things that they do. Um, or if you have a Google uh, Daydream View headset and a compatible phone, you can do the same thing. You get the app for free. Um, you, you fire it up, and you have access to the content. So what I would tell, if anybody's new to this uh, or hasn't uh, heard about VR, what I would say is go to paranormalevidence.com. At the top of the page, it says Get VR. Click on that, and there's a, a simple tutorial, which is absolutely clear for anybody who wants to check this out. And with the uh, with, with this experience, when people are, are I, I know with, with the Veer, uh, with the with the Veer, with the Gear VR, it has the control pad built in. And is this a game where people have to uh, manipulate those controls, or is it something where you're really just viewing the experience as it's happening? No. So when you're when you're screaming it, you can uh, go back. So you, you do have control. So if you saw something that was amazing or heard it, you can uh, you know you click on the on the, the your the button on the right side. And you can stop it, pause it, you can fast forward, you know, rewind, uh, replay events. So, yeah, you have control. Or you can just sit back and, you know, just experience it. Awesome. And, and, and the, the only downside to this, uh, to be able to experience a paranormal investigation through paranormal evidence, the only downside is there's no Swedish fish, there's no snacks. So you're going to have to bring your own snacks to the table That's right. uh, to be able to experience that while you're investigating, but you're going to need them by your side and, and definitely have a, have a couple cups of coffee before you play because you're going to be 
there's going to be stuff going on all over the place. Well, I'll tell you this. If you watch the end of the show, if you can tell me what made uh, that uh, piece of plaster fly at the window, I will send you all the Swedish fish you need. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. Okay. All right. Well, Michael, thank you for joining us and for letting us know about this. And, and hopefully uh, you can come back and check in with us as, as new episodes drop. The first story I have from you comes from a photo that was dated back from the 1940s, or so I thought. When you first look at the photo, you automatically look at the German U-boat, known as a submarine used back in World War I and World War II. In the back of the German U-boat, there are two fins that are 64 feet apart. Now, I brought this to the Twitter and Facebook community, and I wanted their intake on it. I wanted their output on what they thought it might be, and I got it. Terry T writes, hmm. Cody Despian writes, hmm, could be separate animals swimming in opposite directions. Andrew O'Leary writes, scientists. Blue W writes, possibly two whales. Richard G writes, looks like two sharks going in different directions. But we got a submission from Chris Haynes, and he writes, it's a fake photo. It was debunked a while back, and it was created by the producers of Shark Week. When I read that comment, I was like, what is he talking about? Shark Week was not in the 1940s. But Chris is actually right. After doing a lot of research, I had found that at this time, this fo- at the time this photo was taken, they were they were introducing the lighter tone, also known as sepia. Now, as a photographer, that's really big to be more of a family-friendly atmosphere, and that's what they were going for. They wanted Shark Week to be a family-friendly atmosphere. The photo that you see above is actually a still shot of a video, which was then photoshopped to add in the fins. So great job on Chris on knowing his facts and yeah, just check the photo out. It's pretty cool. And if you still have any comments or questions on it, just leave it and we will figure it out. Next one, which I didn't know you guys were talking about VR this week, is actually about 3D scanning. Um, It's titled The First Haunted Object 3D Scanning Project. Now, when I first saw this, I was like, this is super cool. I was thinking about all the possibilities could lead to as it comes to being an investigator, you know, looking at haunted objects, looking at what things are attached to, etc., etc. Then the article, it states that the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal Occult, the world's only mobile museum of haunted artifacts and objects, has launched their first ever 3D scan and compatible database of the paranormal activity objects. There, but there's a couple of problems they're having. The project is confusing ghosts and producing that they're producing the 3D prints with. So the ghosts are having a hard time figuring out which object is theirs and which object is not. Which if you stop and think about it, I mean, I can see where the ghost is getting confused possibly, you know, duplicating their object. And But they're working on that too because they want to be the, on top of their game. Um, there's a very interesting video attached to the article. You can find it on our Twitter or our Facebook page. You can leave us a comment on that. We did receive a lot of likes, shocks, hearts, every emoji that you can leave on the, those on the Facebook feed. Um, we did have a comment from Cassandra R. She writes, I love it. When I first watched the video of Billy Scan, he had me super interested. So definitely check it out. It's really cool. Well, you know um, Greg and Dana Newkirk. You've, you've, you've heard of them before, right? The ones who yes, run the, the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. They're yes. the ones that have been working on this uh, with Jason Gowan, and they've been trying to get some of this stuff scanned. And, and it was our good friend Billy the Idol of Nightmares that they uh, that they tried to scan first. Yes. So, yeah. I don't know if I want to get a little version of Billy for my house, <laughs> but maybe. I mean, 
maybe if it's like closed off in a different room i don't know it all depends on your own personal opinion i guess but i just thought it was really cool that people are actually like starting to do that because 3d printing is becoming so popular right now right to take a haunted object like that's super cool in my eyes and to put in a little plug for for the museum as well if you go to their patreon account and you join up uh, you can get all kinds of members only access, including you, you'll be able to get, you know, you'll be able to purchase these uh, 3D scanned and printed haunted object versions, you know, when they have them out and ready. So definitely go to Patreon and look up the Traveling Museum of the Paranormally Occult. Or just go to paramuseum.com and all the information's right there. Well, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. I'm going to look into that and sign up now. And then my last one is slightly disturbing. It comes from Tennessee. Um, it's known to the local as the locals, excuse me, as the great and evil, and should be avoided at all costs. It's said that it's home to numerous murders. Where p- people report of people screaming, they hear crying babies, they see footprints. But here's where I scratch my se- head and say, is it true or is it an urban legend? Because where I'm from, like there, we have those all the time that kind of match this. But they say that if you go down the tunnel and you turn off your vehicle, the car will not restart, and you'll see phantoms of people in your rearview mirror. And then you have a strange beam of light that's supposed to lead you out of the tunnel. That's if you turn your car off. The ones who have driven down the the tunnel have made it out of the car, out of the tunnel, and out of their car for whatever the reason they're leaving. Um, They noticed little baby-sized handprints. Now that's you have a bunch of stories like that where the car magically pushes itself over the railroad tracks and there's handprints of children. I personally don't know know what to think about it. It's a good ghost story to tell the locals. You know, like I said, I have a few around town. So who really knows? I'm not going down there to find out. Maybe we can send someone down there on a mission to figure it out. But I'm personally staying away from the Cinnabog Tunnel in Tennessee. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us and for sharing those stories with us. And again, if people want to comment on these stories, uh, you and Matt and Chris, you all post great stories all week long on uh, Twitter. On Follow us on Twitter, at SpookySC, and you can see the stories there. And also on the Spooky South Coast Facebook page as well. And, uh, and, and Ashley, I, I want everybody to follow you on Twitter as well. So why don't you tell everybody exactly how many Ys are in your Twitter <laughs> It's Ashley with three Y's. A-S-H-L-E-Y-Y-Y. Turner. T-U-R-N-E-R. Because I have to be different. I have to have three Y's. Well, there you go. And it's, it's, it's probably a fairly common name, I would think, too. It is. And it's usually spelt wrong half the time. So it's, I might as well spell it wrong, too. Well, maybe, so. maybe yours is spelled wrong and theirs is right. What's Who's to say, right? Exactly. Another story for another time. So, see, there we go. We can get your, we, We'll get your Twitter followers up for you, though. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you very much, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Have a good night. Bye, guys. You as well. Good night. That is Ashley Turner. She is our paranormal news correspondent. And again, you can check out her work on the Spooky South Coast Twitter feed at SpookySC. And you can also follow along with the stories on the Spooky South Coast Facebook page. And also, she's been helping us out, too, with uh, with putting more content up on the Spooky South Coast Instagram as well. So you can find more stuff there because we, we're terrible about it. We don't like to take pictures of ourselves. Well, Stephanie does. She loves to take the pictures of herself with with those sunglasses on. So uh, you can, what's that? Her, her stunners. Yeah, right. So uh, you, you can always follow her as well. But uh, yeah, Ashley's been doing a great job with uh, increasing uh, the content that we have on our on our inst- on our Instagram as well. We're we're trying. We're trying to be more sociable. You know, it's hard <laughs> for us after eleven and a half years. Right. I think we're finally starting to come out of our shells a little bit. <laughs> 
begrudgingly. Yep. All right. So why don't we have uh, Matt get our guest on the phone, if you can do that for us, Matt. I will be joined in just a moment by Ben Jeffries with his new book, uh, Interview with the Boogeyman. We will talk to him about that, and you can get it. It's out from Schiffer Books if you want to check it out. And uh, we will be talking about him for, uh, throughout the course of the night about this, about the Boogeyman, about different boogeyman stories that are out there and uh, of course we welcome your calls if you want to call in and share your stories 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 that's the number to call in and you can also share it in the chat room at spookysouthcoast.com now it's going to be kind of hard for matt and i to monitor the chat room but we do have uh we do have ashley helping us out a little bit there as well so she can let us know if anything pops up that we should have brought up onto the air if we miss it but again the phone is the best way to always get in touch with us uh because you know when you look at talking about these things over the years it's it's been hard for people to talk about it one-on-one it's been hard for people to share these stories and now you can now you can tonight this is the format this is the way to do it paranormal radio it works best when we're just talking to each other and that's the way that we like to do this show we like to have it just be us talking to one another sure there's an audience of thousands dare i say millions out there listening but in the end it's just you and us right now myself matt you and our guest ben jeffries who joins us on the line right now i'm gonna bring him up good evening ben how are you hi ben are you with us can you hear me um i don't think we need that one right can you hear us ben So we're just going to keep pressing some buttons here till we get them. That's weird. I can hear him. Ben, ben can you hear it? I think he hung up on us. He was like, doesn't sound like it's working to me. All right. I will have, uh, oh, I didn't even realize that you're wearing an ODB shirt today. Matt. That's awesome. Oh, wait, I can say it. We're on YouTube only. Old Dirty Bastard. He has an Old Dirty Bastard shirt on. And uh, so we will be bringing up Ben in just a moment. Some technical issues that we are allowed to have when we are on internet only. And again, uh, just to remind you all that if you are new to the show, we have the free Spooky South Coast app where you can watch and listen to the show as it's happening live. You can always uh, catch up with all the past previous episodes there as well if you want to do that. And the the other part too about the app is... It keeps you connected to everything that we're doing. So you can find out exactly where, uh, you know, exactly what other things that we've covered in the show. You can find out every other guest that we've had. It's all there. It's all free. Might as well download it. It's it's a small app. It won't take up much space on your phone. You'll still have all the uh, space that you need for your InstaFace, as Bill Belichick says, and all the other things that you do. But, you know, we would appreciate it if you just brought us along with you on your smartphone. So again, Matt's trying to get our guest on the phone, and uh, during that time, if you want to go on to shifferbooks.com, you can find out how to order the book as well. It's also up on Amazon as well. It's called Interview with the Boogeyman, A Monster for All Times. So if you want to try and get a hold of it that way, uh, and if you want to have an actual physical copy of the book, I can tell you that this has been a story, this has been a topic that Chris Balzano and I have talked about ourselves off the air for years. We've talked about the idea of a boogeyman and what it means and why we need to have it. And it'll be interesting to see if our guest tonight, Ben Jeffries, has had some of the same things pop up in his research and in his information because 
this we're talking about basic human the basic human condition we're talking about basic fear we're talking about the things that kind of make us who we are as sentient beings all of that stuff comes into play it's not just about watching a scary movie and then laying in bed thinking about that scary movie it's not just about hearing a story about somebody's paranormal experience and, and being afraid that that same thing might happen to you. It's not about that. It goes deeper than that. In fact, a lot of these things that we do, the watching of horror movies, the reading of scary books, even going out there and, and legend tripping in haunted places, a lot of that is more to quell some of these basic feelings, some of these basic instincts that we have. And as I said, we'll get into all of that, of course, with our guest, Ben Jeffries, once we have him on the line. Looks like we're having some technical issues with that, but uh, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 will be the number if you want to call in and share your stories with Ben a little bit later on in the program. The, uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, if if uh, Chris is listening, if he wants to have Ben call into the VIP line directly, uh, we can try and reach out to him that way too I don't know if if Chris is there but we can totally try and do it I don't want to step all over his toes Matt and uh, and, and and share you know and uh, start talking boogeyman things before we get Ben on the line but I will ask you this were you afraid of the boogeyman when you were a kid it's I know. I threw What's it on. Sorry. Th- he's like, I'm not listening to you. Were you afraid of the boogeyman when you were a kid? Um, I don't know if I called it the boogeyman, but I guess there was a. You, there's always the the monsters under your bed that you're scared of. Well, that's yeah, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I guess you have to have some degree of fear when you're a kid anyway, going to bed. It's it's only it's only natural, you know. Right. I, I don't think a, I don't think I had a fear till like I saw um, Nightmare on Elm Street. When I was probably too young to watch Nightmare on Elm Well, yeah, I definitely watched horror movies too young, but that's all right because that made me the man that I am today. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm absolutely 100% besi- behind showing kids horror movies at a very young age. And I did that with my son. He just we just wasn't interested. Right. So I'm just uh, I'm just scrolling back and trying to find the Skype information for the guests. So. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, we just have the number. We don't have the actual. What if I do this? What if I just try and dial him on the air? I think that might work, right? It's totally professional of us. Oh, right. Wait, I'm not. I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing the tone either. Coming through. There we go. All right. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can do this. We're live on the air. Don't try to figure out what his phone number is. <laughs> Based on the sound of the the tones. Beep. We'll just make beeping noises over it. Beep, beep, boop, 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 boop. All right, let's see. Hopefully he answers his phone in a way that's polite for air. Oh, we're on the internet anyway. That's true. Ring-a-ding-ding. Hello? Hi, is this Ben? Yes. Hi, Ben, it's Tim Weisberg. How you doing? We, we have you live on the air now. Oh, good. Sorry about that. We've been having some some technical issues this evening. Oh, it's, yeah, I used to that. Do you, do you think it might be the boogeyman actually 
kind of creeping uh, well, around. Obviously. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's it's good. He, from, he spread his wings out into all kinds of social media already. It's just a matter before he gets to the phones. It's it's good promotion too to to always say that anyway. So I, I'm just reading over your bio here, and I'll I'll read it for the for the audience. Ben, Benjamin Jeffries is an author and certifiable madman behind Loss in the Darkness, Life Inside the World's Most Haunted Places, Hospitals, and Asylums, Grim Shadows Falling, Haunting Tales from Terrifying Places, and Vile Peeking Under the Skin of Murderers. So and with a with a resume like that, Ben, I I, I got to ask you do, you: do you get out much? Are you out out in the daylight at all ever? <laughs> uh, more than more than you would think, but uh, uh, um, my first couple of books I did a lot of research, so I did I, went, I was out yeah, and uh, visited a lot of good places. So yeah, the places I t- I tend to go to are, are darker places. So whether the sun's shining or not doesn't seem to shine on those places at all much at all. So. Good, those are our favorites. So then, with the research that you've done and the work that you've done, how did the concept of uh, of chasing down the boogeyman come about? Um, well, the, the the whole idea of the, the, my uh, publisher had come to me. They, had, they had wanted me to do a book on Slenderman, and I'm like, well, number one, it's copyrighted now, and you can't really mm-hmm. do it without paying somebody X amount of dollars. Which is, number two, you would have just basically just have a pamphlet because it's a main character that was created specifically for you know an internet thread. I said, there's not, not much history to it, but it really got me thinking. Like, well, what if I were to down the origins man and why and tracing the slender man back for you know from now all the way to you know the fifth back at the middle age and from the beginning of time when we were cave looking at shadows on the wall in the cave you know so the idea of writing a book about the man just really appealed to me and i pitched it and they were really hesitant at first because they didn't get what i was trying to trying to do with it um Basically, trying to almost like the um, stage of like interview or you know uh, with this myth creature that uh, pretty much scared just about it first on the planet at one time or another. Uh, and I finally, you know, my editor had gone and tried to pitch it to him like three or four times, and they just kept ripping her outside one down and the other. And and uh, you know, I just I wrote a to the publisher. I said, just read it. You'll get it. Just read it. They didn't understand. But after a month or so of waiting, they got back with me, and they said we're 110 percent behind it. They love the idea, the concept of you know uh, just a uh, an innovator or viewer coped into the darkness by this boogie creature and and uh, um, telling the story of this creature from the beginning of time all the way up until the uh, man and beyond. Um, so it's real to to kind of melt fiction, obviously with um, with some factual uh, stories, and legends, uh, and uh, and meld them all together a little. Absolutely, we are getting a little bit of a dropout from your phone, uh, which will you know we'll just blame on the boogeyman. But uh, the one, it's entirely possible. He's always here. He's always around. Well, you should. Put, you know, he's probably on your family plan now. I'm pretty sure he's I'm pretty sure that he's looking over his shoulder right now, and he's just he's just eyeballing me. So, 
What I, what I like about the book, uh, and I like kind of about the approach, is that one of the things that struck me, and, and I don't know if it was uh, you know any kind of anything that you thought about as you were putting it together, but it reminds me of the Rolling Stones song "Sympathy for the Devil," where you're getting you're getting this history of the devil through his own eyes, and he's saying, "Hey, this was me, this was me, this was me," and it seems like mm-hmm. it's a, a very similar format with the book. Very much, and and uh, it was. And I think the the one thing that that struck me about it most was like he could be funny, but he could also be terrifying. And I thought, what's more, what's more terrifying, smiling or laughing boogeyman, you know? Uh, so when he's telling jokes and he's also scaring the crap out of you. So, um, but even, but even so, you know, I made sure that he had the backstory that he needed, that he deserved. And, uh, I gave him a birthplace at origin and I gave him, you know, uh, I gave him friends to the moth man and the, the bunny man in uh, Pennsylvania and, uh, and Sasquatch shows up. So, um, you know, giving him the backstory, giving him the uh, uh, life that he deserved or deserved to be told um, in relation to all of these terrifying monsters that he's, uh, that he's become over the years. Did, did you worry at all, though, that by doing so, that by fleshing out the boogeyman as a, an actual being and, and instead of just a, instead of just something to be afraid of, instead of just a conceit, actually fleshing him out into an actual character? Was there any concern that as you were doing that, you were kind of giving him more power and giving him more life? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. The it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I look at uh, the world around us now and I think, where's all the this? Where are all the, uh, where's the folklore? Where's the, all of the urban legends? You know, the boogeymen that we have now are politicians, they're lawyers, you know, they're, they're, they're creepy, scary people who are, who are doing, you know, I mean, I'd much rather, I'd much rather read a story about a monster than actually see one in flesh and blood on the screen on a TV screen or something. You know, I, I think that uh, the culture today relies too much on <clears throat> on being satisfied with uh, um, so much happening in the, you know, look at the folklore, look at the myths, look at the uh, the legends that are still there and that they're still viable, they're still vibrant, they breathe. And I was hoping to kind of bring some of that back and, and say, these are great stories, these are great monsters, and... Uh, um, Look at these monsters instead of focusing on the ones that, uh, uh, on the TV or on social media. Uh, because if you don't, if you quit watching them, they'll just go anywhere. I mean, and that's the thing is that we have to have. Like Boogeyman's more fun anyway. Uh, the true Boogeyman's more fun. We we have to have something to be afraid of. I mean, that's it. There has to be something that is reflective of that part of our psyche and and that part of our personalities. There has to be something out there that is our our own individual boogeyman and also our own cultural boogeyman. There's, why is it that we yeah. need to have something like that, though? I'm sorry, I, cut that. I didn't catch that last part. I, I said, why is it that we, we feel that need? I mean, we know that it's 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 a, a base need that we have to have something to be afraid of, but why? What is it about that that, that, that powers us up? You know, I think, it, I think um, when, I, when I was writing, I came to the kind of conclusion that we have to have something... We have to have a fear in us. We have to have that primordial fear in us to keep us moving forward. Um, one of the aspects of the boogeyman that he explains in the book is that 
He doesn't terrify children simply because he wants to terrify them. He terrifies them so that they will grow to not be afraid of him, so that they will empower themselves to be able to overcome these monsters. If children are able to overcome the monsters of their childhood, they can overcome just about anything as they grow older. And uh, I think that has a lot to do with the thing. It's very empowering to to feel that fear, but that fear also propels us forward in becoming better people. So that so the boogeyman is kind of like the the yin to Santa Claus's yang. You know, we have one one mythical belief, one one uh, one character that keeps us in line and keeps us uh, on the good path for reward, and then we have another character that keeps us in line for fear of what would happen if we don't obey. Pretty much, and you know, there's there's legends like that all around. Christmas uh, was even like the anti-Santa um, for a moment. But, you know, in, if you look back at the legends of Krampus, he was kind of in cahoots with Santa. He didn't want Santa. He didn't want to take care of the bad kids. He liked Krampus to take care of them. So mm-hmm. um, in that case, you know, the boogeyman and Krampus and uh, even uh, the Father, and uh, there was another legend in, from from France that uh, it was very similar to the Father, which was... Particularly, he was a guy that um, followed Santa around and had a sheet full of um, uh, switches in his, uh, on his back, and he would go around and give naughty children uh, spankings on Christmas if they were naughty. Um, so, yeah, it was. I think even way back in the Middle Ages, um, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, when these when these legends, Krampus and the Whip Father, were were so prevalent, as well as the the idea of Saint Nicholas. It was kind of a, a yin and yang, a back and forth, and uh, uh, the boogeyman was kind enough to take the game for Krampus and the Whipfather. So, well, you mentioned uh, you know having to create a backstory and, and, and a history and a birth for the boogeyman. How how far back in your research do you find find reference to this type of a, of a being? Um, I would you know I would assume, and uh, you know correct me if I actually assumed that. He's been in existence since mankind stood upright. You know, he was the flickering shadow on the cave wall. He was that sound in the forest that no one knew what it was, you know. Um, uh, when fire first broke out or when, fire, when, when thunder and lightning first came about, he was that. You know, it was, he's always been personal fear in all of us. And uh, um, that being said, you know, the first really authentic um, depiction of the boogeyman in my estimation went back to the tale of Beowulf and um, uh, especially Grendel and Grendel's mother one of the first true appearances of an actual evil like monstrous creature in English literature um, and I kind of started from there and I thought that's that's Viking war, that's, that's Nordic you know that's all that dark land over there and uh, so I saw, I saw a picture one day of the, the, the Dean Borgir lava fields in Iceland, and I thought that's where he was born. And it turns out, in Christian, in Christian legend, that's the Dean Borgir lava field, the, the place where Satan uh, supposedly fell from heaven, and that's where he landed. So I thought, that's perfect. If he came up theme in the uh, and was born out of those lava fields. So that's, you know, that's where it came from. But Going back so far, the first recorded ones, I started with Beowulf and just kind of went from there. So it was kind of easy after that to trace 
uh, the Viking legends, the Viking uh, tales and folk tales and all the lore um, to the UK, to the UK and then to Germany and uh, Poland, Russia, uh, and even to uh, Japan, China, and then finally over to the United States when the uh, settlers started coming over from the UK. So, and, and these disc- for these- me, doing my research, I really found that a lot of the original tales of the boogeyman. Uh, of trolls, of dark fairies and elves, really originated in that land of uh, uh, of ice and snow. And it's gonna it's gonna take on its own morphings from culture to culture as these stories get get Absolutely. get shared. They're gonna take on the identity of, of, of the the peoples that are that are telling mm-hmm. them. It, the it, culture it, definitely uh, basically the culture definitely changes to suit their needs, and, and it, whether it's to make themselves feel more familiar with it or to make it more of their own, it still flourished. The story still flourished and grew and, and swarmed across these countries. And uh, every culture has a boogeyman. Every culture has that one um, uh, creature that really feeds on fear and uh, is both designed to keep people in line and to make children behave. It's really kind of cool how you, you can watch the progression of some of the tales from, from like Iceland and uh, Denmark, and they make their way to the UK and uh, to Germany and stuff like that. And they, they they start out one thing, and then the culture of the UK changes it to another, and then it travels on to Germany, and Germany, Germany was always dark, so they, they turn it into something much darker and much more uh, evil and, and bloodthirsty. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to watch that kind of that progression as you do research, you know. Well, we are getting some questions in the chat room about the etymology of the name Boogeyman and, and how that came about. And, and uh, if you could maybe break that down for us of how, you know, the what seems like, you know, to us, to modern era people, it's like, oh, the Boogeyman, that's kind of a really silly name. But it that name has a power and it has an impact. Yeah, yeah. It actually, the the, boogie, the, the term Boogeyman actually came from the UK, um, where they used to call it the Boog or the Bogger, which was... Basically, it was, um, um, I'm sure you've seen the Harry Potter, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. They had the Dementors, and they actually had uh, the uh, the box that released the boggers. That's exactly what the boogeyman was in English, in, 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 in the old Celtic lore, was that he was this shape-shifting creature that could be anything. He was called the boggers. And, of course, it became the boogeyman, um, once it hit the Americas. So uh, it, it started out as the Boog, became the Boggarts, and then eventually became Boogeyman once uh, uh, enough time had passed. And are the other names for it around the world, uh, do, do they have a, a connection where it's, you know, does, are there any particular names that stand out to you of, of where you might uh, have seen other reference to the Boogeyman by a different name and, and what it means to that particular culture? Um. As far as like other names for the boogeyman or other other forms of the boogeyman, I think the uh, the names of the boogeyman, um, the, you know, some of them, some of them like the like uh, the black shuck, you know, in England, and you have uh, the strigoi from Poland. Um, you know, every culture kind of takes that takes the same kind of legend and makes it their own, and um, each name has a different meaning. You know, strigoi was these was these cannibalistic. Uh, necrophiliac 
a vampire that uh, would basically eat themselves to death. And uh, um, uh, the, that was actually more of the basis of um, uh, Al And uh, Bram Stoker actually got the, name, got the idea from that, as well as from uh, Vlad Tepish uh, in Romania. But uh, the names are all different according to the cultures. And, but uh, the Boogeyman seems to be the one that's, you know, that stuck around the most. Ever. You mentioned Boogeyman, and everybody knows who it is. And it, and it seems like a lot of them have been incorporated into other, a lot of these other names have been incorporated into other things, uh, other, other types of creatures that we have out there. So the, you know, these, these naming powers of the boogeyman uh, archetype, it, it seems to work its way into some of our nightmares. And it, what's, what's funny is that, you know, if you look at things like Dracula, if you look at things like um, even some of the, the creatures that have come about in more recent times, you know, they all seem... For example, he's a perfect boogeyman. Freddy Krueger is too. You know, it's um, the boogeyman has become a, such a such a general term that uh, you know can basically be dis- used to be dis- to describe just about anything. Um, and, and they're what not gives the boogeyman personality. What gives him life is the personal uh, the personalized names to give him, like you know Pennywise, of course, and then you have um, El Cuicuiz. El- El- from uh, Spain, who was a child catcher and a changeling. Um, you have the raw head and bloody bones, which started out in the UK and became a, 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 a pretty, pretty fairly, uh, fairly famous urban legend and uh, folktale in the state. Uh, but the, yeah, the, uh, you know, it's the uh, it's the names we give them now that that have more more power. The boogeyman is more religious sort of title and, and it, and than the name, really. <laughs> We're, we're really cut. You're really cutting out a little bit there, Ben. But uh, one of the things that I, I find the, the the scariest part about it is that these boogeymen that we have now are they're not just reflective of us as a people and as of a culture, but particularly of our time. So you mentioned, you know, Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger is indicative of a time when kids were afraid of what could happen when you went into that, you know, that when you're walking down the street and there's that weird guy that lives in that house alone and as a child molester. And then, you you know, Pennywise comes about after we have these fear. I think we just lost Ben. We did. We lost Ben. Hopefully he calls back in. Uh, but we have these fears of uh, people that are what we need to be afraid of at that time. Uh, so that's why, you know, talking about Pennywise the Clown and that book, It Coming Out, after a time when there's all these, you know, killer clown stories that start popping up in the in the early and mid-80s. So it's it's definitely one of those things that is uh, reflective of the times. And I, I really do think that the boogeyman is messing around with his phone. I mean, yeah, he's not calling back. I guess that's what happens, you know, when you um, when you start digging around in these things. Is you go after them, and they're going to come after you. Moniz always says that, you know, for every step you take toward it, it takes two steps toward you. And I think that might have happened with Ben and the Boogeyman. I hope he's all right. I hope something didn't like come out of the closet and grab him, because we were having a fascinating discussion, and and I'd like to finish the rest of it. Uh, so I'm asking going to try and get Ben back on the phone, but I remind you all that if you have any questions for Ben uh, or any stories that you want to share, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to share your stories and your questions with us and with Ben Jeffries when we get him back on the line. And, of course, you can also send them to us on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive or directly to us at SpookySC. You can email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. 
And you can also jump into the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. So if you're new to the show and you're listening to us, uh, watching us on YouTube, this is the way that we do things. Even when we're, we're not on the radio tonight because the Red Sox are on in our place, uh, the game is still going on, but we always do this live streaming video. We always have the show up on YouTube, on our live stream on YouTube, and on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and also feeding directly into our app. So you can always consume the show both ways if you so choose is he on there because i just i have the uh i don't have the signal that says that he's on i just have the little star sorry matt matt is definitely earning his swedish fish tonight having to go back and forth uh but uh certainly again uh, if you want to get involved in the discussion you can do so 508-996-0500 i promise that if you call in the phones will work i am not the one that is messing anything up tonight this is uh, certainly very weird because, you know, we talked to, we were able to connect with Ashley. We were able to connect with our, our guests uh, at the beginning of the show, Michael Wachelonis. We started talking about the boogeyman, all hell breaks loose. You know, I'm not somebody that wants to put a lot of stock in the idea that something could be tampering with the phones, but I don't know. Seems uh seems a little strange that it is until we start talking about the boogeyman that things go all haywire. So and, and again, as I mentioned, I'm sure that a lot of you have had boogeyman type experiences and things that you want to share as well. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. While we're waiting to connect back again with Ben Jeffries, I'll just throw out a quick plug now for Ghosts of the Gateway happening on August 12th. We have some tickets still available for that if you want to come check out the Fearing Tavern built in 1690. When can you investigate a building built building built in 1690? Well, you can do that with us August 12th. You get that building, full access to that building, as well as three other historic haunted locations, all within walking distance to each other, all right in the heart of Wareham's downtown historic district. So it's happening in Wareham, Massachusetts. Ghost of the Gateway happening August 12th. You can get your tickets at SpookySouthCoast.com. And I would recommend uh, if you're waiting to get some, I wouldn't wait too much longer because it's getting close and uh, and it's going to start hitting the newspapers and everything. So definitely get involved with the event. And also there's only just a few tickets left for our event at the SK Pierce Mansion uh, with John Brightman's Bright Star Promotions. So uh, check that out as well. Make sure that you don't miss out on those events. It's, it's weird. We're really having problems getting them on the phone. Because see, I'm in, I'm in the spooky studio. And I have a phone system right in front of me uh, that has an LED display that lets me know when Matt, who is in the dubbing studio behind me, when he picks up the phone and dials in to somebody, I can see that he's in the process of doing so. And I can see when he puts the phone on hold. And all I'm seeing is I'm seeing the beginning process of he's getting him on the phone, he's getting ready to lock it in, and then it disappears. It's so weird. This never happens. Usually, you know, we might have a few connection issues here and there. But I've never seen, like, as if something is keeping us from connecting. And I don't think this is, you know, marketing on, on Ben's part. I don't think he's messing around with the phones just to make us think it's the boogeyman. Because, of course, you want to come and talk about this stuff. And, and you want to promote the book. And you want to talk about the work that you've done. So I don't think he'd be playing any games. I think there's something strange happening here. So 
877-996-1420 is a number to call in and share your own stories, your own thoughts on the boogeyman. It's something that we've talked about here on the show amongst ourselves in the past, but we've never been able to dedicate a whole show to the topic of the boogeyman. I was very in, very excited to be able to do that this time around, but I don't know. I think even if we can reconnect with Ben, I think we owe him another appearance on the show just to try to get some some more of this information out without all these phone issues that we're having. So, I don't know. Just a weird, man. I'm scratching my head at this. See, and, and, and Ben's in the chat room, and he just said, no games. This literally never happens with his phone. So I, I don't know how to explain it. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we were able to connect with Ashley over Skype. We were able to connect with our first guest, uh, Michael Wachalonis, over the phone. Looks like we have Ben Jeffries back on now. Let's see if we can bring him back on. Ben, are you with us again? Hi, Ben. Can you hear us? Yes. Okay. This is this is getting downright spooky, actually, because it's, uh, it's, I, I I just posted in the chat room and uh, it literally never happens. I like I have never had a call drop this many times at once. And and we're using you know pretty good technology here in the studio, so it's not like we're we're assume, yeah yeah we're not we're not messing around here. So uh, I think maybe we have to have another blessing of the studio here now because we we try to keep all the the demons out, we try to keep all the ghosts out. Now we've got the boogeyman hanging around in here. Get the sage and the salt. Oh yeah, and of course our our uh, usual co-host Stephanie Burke, who is not here with us tonight, she is a psychic medium and somebody who could throw up all kinds of, you know, psychic defenses for us. And she's not here. So that just makes us even more vulnerable to this stuff. So we were taught, we're talking about, uh, Ben Jeffrey's new book interview with the boogeyman, a monster for all times. And we were talking about, uh, before we got disconnected that he is a monster for all times because he's reflective of the times that he's in. You had mentioned Freddy Krueger and I had mentioned that, you know, that boogeyman comes up at a time when, People are worried about kids getting kidnapped and molested. And then even though in the original they didn't really mention that, they did hint at it. And then you talked about Pennywise the Clown, and that comes at a time when, you know, clowns are showing up and kidnapping kids in white vans. The boogeyman mm-hmm. does reflect what's going on in our society and, and what we should be afraid of. Yeah, and, and um, clowns, you know, the idea of clowns, you know, that goes back a long, long way before Pennywise. I think even Stephen King. That's the reason why he wrote it, simply because he was so scared of clowns himself. But uh, clowns, clowns have been in the uh, have, have people been scared of clowns for uh, centuries. You know, the uh, the scariest clowns to me were the ones in the circuses that would travel from town to town. You know, in the 1600s and 1700s, because most of the clowns there were were painted. They had their faces painted, and they were highwaymen hiding out from the law. You know, they were uh, murderers and thieves and rapists, and they would go to one town, and they would put on a show, and then after the show was over, they'd loot the place, be on to the next town before anybody even knew anything was up. Um, and then, of course, the clowns kept going on and on and on, and Gacy didn't help uh, the image of clowns at all, and... Uh, um, yeah, Emmett Kelly did as much as he could for clowns, but uh, Gacy and Stephen King really kind of ruined clowns for everybody, I think. Well, I mean, I'm not really so much afraid of clowns myself, uh, but at least I wasn't. And then when you gave me the history of how they came about, now I'm a little bit more terrified about yeah. what is it there. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's what's lurking underneath that face paint or the mask, you know, what's what what's under there, you know, what are they trying to hide, you know, and 
um, they're just trying to make children laugh, you know, or, or have, have fun. And then there was there were a few that uh, uh, took advantage of that. You mentioned in in the book, you talk about some of these other incarnations of the boogeyman, and you know, you talk about the werewolf, you talk about the golem. One thing that that stood out to me that that I didn't make the connection with until I you know saw this in the book is the Pied Piper of Hamlin. Oh yeah, he was he was he was the first person, uh, the first actually first legend that I actually uh, wrote about. He was the one that I started out with, um, simply because you know he was kind of a boogeyman. He took he, he took all the children from Hamlin. Uh, it's a very famous legend, became a very famous story, and there is an actual history behind that in that there was a mass exodus of children from either Hamlin or surrounding area in that part of Germany uh, where the children disappeared. And, and there, were, there were reports that there was missing children from Hamlin um, and then an influx of immigrants showing up in a Polish town, um, you know, a, a country over or whatever. Um, and that's what they believe happened to the children, is that they, they were taken or they left Hamlin and were and re, uh, um, reinstated in, in, like in Poland, in this little town in Poland. But uh, there's very little information about that. But uh, um, I thought the idea of the Pied Piper of Hamlin, everybody else saw him as this colorful person and I thought he, he came and stole children because he didn't get paid mm. you know that's that's not a nice colorful thing about a guy or about a person uh, so he was actually the first one and, and why he came up in my mind the first time I thought of the boogeyman I'll never know but um, he definitely it was definitely one of the more interesting incarnations of, of the boogeyman uh, that I came across because he came off as being very colorful and very helpful at first, but then when you when you wronged him, he, he basically ruined you and, and created the hell that you would have to live with for the rest of your life, especially if you were one of the parents. And and one of the things too about the boogeyman is it's not always you know we refer to it as the boogeyman, but it's not always a humanistic creature. Uh, that yep. is uh, that people are afraid of. Sometimes it's you know I'm I'm thinking about I didn't I didn't even realize that Mogwai was a legitimate uh, Chinese legend and that Gremlin actually is a term that came from somewhere else. Yeah, the, the Mogwai was actually a Chinese creature that was very much like uh, uh, Gizmo was um, in the uh, in the movie Gremlins. Uh, it didn't be, the Mogwai didn't become Gremlins until the legend was adapted in. Uh, Great Britain during World War II, where they had come across um, the idea that they could use they could use a Japanese legend or a Chinese legend rather, um, and try to empower the people to do better, to build better airplanes. You know, watch out for gremlins, make sure everything is tied right and bolted down right. And um, they actually got the name Gremlin from a brewing company. I think they're in the in the UK. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a gremlin. I think became kind of a bastardization of um, this off-the-wall thing. And again, it was it's kind of like Slenderman in that they took something that you know sort of existed in culture already and turned it into something else for their own uh, uh, for their own needs. And then, of course, the whole idea of gremlins took off from there. They showed up in a Bugs Bunny cartoon and um, really hit the. Uh, uh, hit the limit there with uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, uh, Gremlins in the 80s. 
I, I love the fact that you actually quote the boogeyman in the book saying that, you know, Spielberg owes him money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, in talking about some of these different um, incarnations of, of the boogeyman, and one of the questions that came up in the chat room, uh, Sudan name mentions that in Slavic languages, uh, bog, bog, B-O-G, is a term that they use in association with gods. And it is that kind of part of how this got turned around into being this negative creature with the same type of etymology? Yeah. I, had, I had come across that. I tried to stay away from a lot of theological, the, really the deep theological issues, because I don't think it has to... I, you know, I wanted to try and focus on the, the universal fear uh, that everybody has. I didn't want to try and get too into the theological issues of it, um, even though in the beginning of the book, you know, he claims to it, the boogeyman claims to have played poker in the Garden of Eden with Satan, God, and Plato, or whatever. And, um, but uh, uh, it was, you know, it was. Uh, I had come across that before, and I tried to not, you know, you know, overlook its its relevance, but try not to get tried not to get too much into the theological issue of mm-hmm. it, simply because I wanted to focus more on. Um, the universal fear that he creates or he, that he instills in people. But I was, I was aware that there were certain uh, derivations of the name that um, implicated the reversal of God, and that actually kind of led me to believe that it was more devil-like. But um, to me, there was a definite difference between uh, Satan and the boogeyman. When you think about, um, you know, we're talking about the boogeyman being in, in all these different cultures around the world and each culture having its version of the boogeyman. But what's interesting is you come to a country like America where we're bringing in this supposed melting pot and, and mm-hmm. this cross-cultural experience of being an American of where we have kind of our own legends and lore, but at the same time we also are still incorporating those of the people that make up who this country is. So when... Mm-hmm. You know, people in America, especially when things were still a lot more cultural than it is now, when there was a lot more of a cultural divide, it this country is rife with all these different boogeymen stories being told, plus the ones mm-hmm. that are associated with the Native Americans. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's crazy. You know, the um, you mentioned the melt, the whole the melting pot thing, and it's really you know you see something like rawhead and bloody bones, even Sasquatch and and uh, uh, the Mothman. Mothman is definitely um, stems from the Native American legends. Um, the Native Americans, uh, you know, first introduced the uh, the idea of the Wendigo and uh, of Sasquatch. Um, uh, if you if you think about the idea of the the mythical Thunderbird. You know, it's uh, very close to what Mothman may have been introduced as. Um, you know, I think that the native, you know, you take the native cultures and you take the cultures that came in from Ireland and from the UK and from Germany and Poland, and we've, cre- you know, we've created this this huge melting pot of different stories, and they're so wonderful and they're so so amazing to read and to uh, to pour over that. You know, it's uh, it's really quite an interesting, quite an interesting uh, um, amalgam of just great dark stories. It, it, you and you mentioned Sasquatch, possibly. You know, you say in the book that he's probably the most famous of all the boogeyman legends. But how does Sasquatch I mean, kind of fall into that category? 
well, in in the book, you know, the boogeyman, he he disavows any creation of of, the, of Sasquatch or Bigfoot. He's you know he was his own thing. He was his own creature, and um, the only thing that he did with with Sasquatch is he actually showed them how to get from you know the Himalayas and from Russia where he was known as the abominable snowman, he said, hey, come on over to this, 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 this land bridge that connects you know, the United States and Russia. He said, come on over here. It's, it's warmer over here. You can come over here and just hang out in the woods. They'll never find you. Um, but uh, um, in the book, I, I often uh, tried to uh, allow the difference that, you know, the Sasquatch, while he was a, um, a creature of fear, Native American, he was that he sort of may have come from the Wendigo legend. Um, he was actually, uh, I made a, a point of trying to say that he was a, a creature on his own, um, which goes into cryptozoology and, and all that stuff, but I won't get into that. But um, I never considered Sasquatch to be a boogeyman type, but he did act as that sort of type um, to the Native Americans. I mean, they were. There are legends where they were actually terrified of him and uh, and the Wendigo. So um, I felt it was necessary to include that when I included the uh, the chapter on on Native American myths. I mean, I think generally that we have uh, we have a reverence for a lot of these boogeymen creatures. We have uh, you know some that are more terrifying than others. We do. What would you say are some of the ones that are kind of the softer boogeyman, you know, the ones that, that have over the years, uh, they've become less terrifying and become kind of more, I'm thinking, you know, like we talk about some of these holiday legends, some of the stuff that's around Christmas and Halloween, there's been kind of a mm-hmm. softening of some of these type of legends. Um, some of the, some of the softer ones from like the Halloween legends and the, uh, and the, uh, ones you're talking. Yeah. Like people used to be um, like jack-o'-lanterns used to inspire fear. Now they're just like yeah. a symbol of Halloween. Uh, yeah, you have, you have Spring Hill Jack, and you have uh, the the idea of um, uh, uh, Jack who's carrying his who, who basically created the jack o' lantern. The whole, the whole uh, um, myth there. Um, it it just seems like some of these are are you know ones that. And I think it probably happens with a lot of boogeymen because if you look at the way that people are afraid of things now, you know, we look yeah. at a lot of these older legends and say to ourselves, well, that's just silly to believe in that because we feel like we've kind of advanced as a, as a society beyond that. So some of them do kind of yeah. become softer and, and, and less terrifying. But in, in, at the end of the night, you know, when you're when you're laying in bed and you hear something moving around, you still have all these thoughts that it could be any one of these things. Yeah, yeah. Especially you know, if you look at creatures like, um, or well, so more of a uh, uh, an elf type, uh, like the Nisser uh, uh, from, from the Netherlands. You know, he was sort of like a mischievous sprite who was, you know, he, he would hide out basically on people's farms, and and if you were good to him, he would bring you gifts. If you were bad to him, then he would kill your livestock, or he would make your your um, uh, your crops, that sort of thing, and. Uh, um, one, you know, that's pretty terrifying. It's not nearly as terrifying as the, that creature that would be crawling at you best. So, um, you know, definitely, you know, the Christmas 
definitely a little softer. And uh, more in, you know, you'll learn your lesson eventually somehow or another, whether you like it or not. You know, it's a, uh, um, you know, I, I think back on the, the legend of uh, Stingy Jack and his, his lantern and how the, um, the, the jack-o'-lantern ever actually came about where he was this, um, silver-tongued devil. He was a drunk fighter, this guy in Jack in uh, one of the villages of, of Ireland. Um, you know, he made a deal with the devil, saying, you know, um, uh, the devil came to see if, you know, rumors of Jack's evil was true, and, and um... Well, there's there's one boogeyman that... The, the, one of the things that I'm afraid of and uh, and I've made no bones about this over the years, and I've talked about it here on the show. One of the things that I'm terrified of is is aliens, and and I think that gray aliens, the grays, these big eyed creatures, are. Uh, whoa. We lost him again. Right as I brought that up. <laughs> uh, maybe I won't talk about that. Maybe I won't ask that question. Uh, hopefully uh, Ben can call back in. Um, I'm assuming that he has caller ID, right? He knows the number if he drops off. Or do you want you want to try and get him again if you want to? Um, feel free to give him the VIP line too in case it drops out so he can call back in. But that's that's not going to sit well with me tonight when I get home in the middle of the night and I hear the rustling in the bushes and I see the dark figures walking down the road when everybody's in bed. That's not going to sit right with me as soon as I start bringing up the aliens. That might have actually scared Stephanie to the point where she would have left the studio. I would not have been surprised, and I wouldn't have blamed her. I would do the same if I could. All of a sudden, I just mention it, and the line goes dead. We have about n nine minutes or so left in the show. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. If you have any questions for Ben Jeffries as we talk about his book, Interview with the Boogeyman, and uh, we're going to try it again. Uh, I'm sorry that I said the word, Ben, but I got to ask the question because we talk about it a lot. Are aliens just a modern version of, of the boogeyman? You know, I think anything that, that, in, that gets that primordial fear in you kind of rumbling, you know, if that's what scares you, that's what it is. You know, that's, you know, for, for lack of a better term, the boogeyman, there's a, there's a part in every one of us that has the boogeyman in him. You know, it's whatever we make him out to be. He is whatever whatever you want him to be. And, uh, um, you know, if he's the little gremlin behind the trash can in the darkened bedroom, that's what he is, you know. If he's, he's there to be whatever scares you. It, it does seem like uh, for a lot of people, you know, it's the, the experiences that they describe being abductees or contactees, I see it as very similar to, you know, all the historical boogeyman stories. And I, I argue with my co my other co-host, Matt Moniz, who's also not here tonight. He's a ufologist, and he's somebody who's worked with abductees for a long time. And I always say to him, like, okay, aliens are no different than the fairies that would have been around, you know, 300 years ago. It's just our, our, need, uh, what, our need is to be afraid of something, and what we are afraid of has to evolve with us as we evolve in humanity, so it's not a surprise that our boogeyman becomes more technologically advanced. Oh yeah, and, and he, you know, he he lives on the internet. You know, you, there, 
you know, there are literally hundreds of, of urban legends being created every single day, and they all stem from some truth. They all stem from something that may have happened uh, at one time or another. You know, the Slender Man thing could have been inspired by um, uh, child abductions, you know, as a way to explain that or a way to put a twist on that where it becomes uh, grim and very, very terrifying to a lot of people. The same thing with aliens, you know. I mean, um, the idea of something, the, the idea of anything, you know, infiltrating that vulnerable space in your home or in your heart or in your the gut of the pit of your stomach uh, is just terrifying, and that's that's where the boogeyman comes from. That's where every, that's where that fear is. You know, it's it's you know, we all you know as technology advances, you know, we definitely come up with different ways to. Um, express those fears or to exploit those fears uh, to a degree. But, um, you know, and it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years um, as technology advances. It'll be interesting to see what happens to some of those legends. I hope some of the, I hope some of the old uh, stories still stick around because they have such an affinity for those. But I definitely look at places like uh, 4chan and Creepypasta um, for the new legends. You know, those are really interesting to me. Those are some very creative people on those websites creating those threads. And um, to me, it just, it's just another example of the boogeyman continuing to flourish, even, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries and millennia after millennia uh, of life. And, to me, you know, he's just going to continue, and it's going to be interesting to see how that, uh, how that comes about. And I, I find that fascinating because people say, Oh, you know, the the Slender Man stories, that's just something that somebody made up and put on the Internet. So you really shouldn't be afraid of it and you really shouldn't believe in it because it's just a story that somebody admitted that they just made up and wrote and put up on the Internet. But aren't all of these stories just made up by somebody at some point and just shared? And isn't the power not in the original creation of the story, but in the sharing of the story and of the fact that it's embedding itself into your psyche and into into what it is that you're afraid of? That's that's the power. It doesn't matter where the story comes from. Yeah, absolutely. The um, you know, it's it's funny and it sounds weird, but those those creepy pasta threads and the the four chan threads, that's the that's the 21st century equivalent of sitting around a fire telling ghost stories, you know. Um, and people, you know, some in those stories do seep out, you know, and they do affect people. And some people, um, whether they believe they're true or not, take them to heart. And they're you know, it, none so much. As uh, there was a couple of girls in Wisconsin who actually tried to kill one of their friends because they were doing it as a sacrifice to Slender Man. You know, they also talked to Lord Baltimore from and one of the teenage mutant ninja turtles, but uh, they did it, you know, as trying to get Slender Man's attention. So you know, they do get out, and these these legends do get out. They do become bigger than the thread they were actually on. They escape the thread, and. Uh, um, they become part of the, the mythological, the the, um, the urban legend, the folk tales, uh, and and those great uh, ghost stories uh, that have become part of the lexicon. Is there, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the, the Internet as being the place where a lot of these stories are being fostered. Uh, is there kind of a, a wave of that storyteller coming back? Because we get so caught up in at least the last you know, 50 years or so with, you know, the storytellers are coming through the traditional media. You know, we buy books, we see movies, we see television shows. These are where we're getting our stories 
as a people, but it seems like the internet is the place where a lot of these things are not only coming about, but also spreading and also becoming, you know, embedded in who we are. Absolutely, because they can you can create uh, you can create a, a great legend one day, and by the the next day it's gone viral, and everybody in the world knows about it. Everything moves so fast; it moves so much quicker than it used to. Um, so they become, you know, even more famous. They become even more mythical and mystical, and um, than they than they would have, you know, back in the day. You know, um, but I think the technology gives it the ability to basically grow wings the second day that they've come around. I've always, I've always liked looking for old books in the library. So it's kind of the reason why I wrote the book rather than writing an ebook or something like that, or posting it on, uh, on my website or anything. Um, going back to trying to rekindle the old stories and trying to get people more interested in reading the old stories rather than, um, and, and seeing where these new legends that are popping up, where they may have come from, because most of these legends that are popping up on uh, the internet um, have still have roots in the old stories. So I was really more interested in that, and, and but I'm not, you know, denying that the uh, the internet um, has created more of these boogeymen in two years than in the history of. But in the history of the world, you know, uh, it's crazy. You can't deny the power of the, of, of the, the communication uh, that the Internet is able to provide for some of these, these great stories that are coming out. And, and as a writer, did you feel like putting this book in the interview style, was, was that kind of your way to keep everything tied together and to keep those old legends just as much alive as the newer stuff to say, Hey, you know, this, this Absolutely. is, this is how you can see that this boogeyman is that same boogeyman. And that doesn't mean that you should, you know, dismiss some of those stories of old. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was my opportunity to, to just initially it was something I wanted. It was just a novel thing to do, you know, and then it became something bigger. It became something that I was passionate about that I wanted to make sure that, it's not just about the boogeyman. It's about not losing the stories. It's about not losing the legends and the myths and the, and, uh, the folk tales and stuff like that. Because I almost, I almost see that, you know. I, uh, I miss the idea of, like, telling ghost stories around a fire. And I miss the idea of, you know, of finding, you know, whether they be campier or lurid or not, be the, the old books in the library that were so much fun to read when I was a kid, you know. I, I basically am a writer who uses other people's words that were that have been used for millions and millions and millions of years to to write books that I've always wanted to read. And, you know, I never I wanted to I wanted to write something that that I enjoyed and I liked, and uh, that really that's what it came down to. I said, "What if this boogeyman character?" I said, "This I would love to just talk to this guy," and so that's what I wrote about. And part of me is in him, and part of him is in me. Well, before we let you go, uh, Ben, and uh, we have been talking with Ben Jeffries. He's the author of Interview with the Boogeyman. If you want to check it out for yourself, uh, you can get it online wherever books are found. And, and we'll give you a chance to plug your own website as well coming up. But before we let you go, I just want to ask you, do you have a favorite Boogeyman legend from across time, from across the globe? Is there one that you've kind of latched on to as, as your particular favorite? Um. You know, I, I, I go back and forth between uh, the Black Annis from the U.K. and uh, Grendel. And I always sort of pick Grendel because I think 
to me, he was the scariest of all of them, I think. You know, he was this inhuman, well, he was this, I don't, nobody knows what Grendel was. He was something that, that was huge, he walked on two legs, but I found him also to be one of the most interesting. You know, people take the, the character of Grendel, uh, and they, they were able to put whatever they wanted to on him and make him more personal for them. And so when I, when I was initially first forced to read Beowulf by my father, um, and then when I read it when I was much older uh, and was able to appreciate it more, um, I really, I really felt for for Grendel. It was, it was like he was a much maligned character. He was very, he, there was, kind, he there was kind of, you know, he was kind of those, those sad kind of creatures that you thought may just wanted wanted to have been loved, and he couldn't get that. Well, I think uh, in the end, you know, there's always going to be a segment of the population that's going to love these boogeymen, uh, such as, as you yeah. clearly do. You know, people that are going to embrace this side of things, and, and I think that that's going to make sure that there's always some sort of a power to that. Aside from what we need uh, for our own, you know, human psyche, I think the fact that there's just a good amount of us that just love to be scared and love a good scary story. Absolutely. That's that's. That's 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 the that's what it comes down to. It's that primal fear. You know, everybody loves a good scary story. You know, especially the ones that keep you up at night. All right. Well, Ben, why don't you let everybody know before we let you go uh, how they can find the book and find out more about you and follow along with your adventures? Well, they're uh, all my books are available on Amazon and uh, Amazon.com and at ShipperPublishing.com. Um, find me on Facebook. I've got an author page there. Even Tenniversal uh, Book has a Facebook page and a Twitter account now, too, so you be careful there. Um, that's about it. You know, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, any Anything in particular that you're working on currently, or you're just kind of uh, working with the Boogeyman for a little while? Yeah, I'm doing, I, I'm actually doing more press for this book than I did for my three previous books. I'm still kind of working on, on making the round. It's almost like a junket for, for goodness sake. I'm like, you just, this book is just kind of came from there. It's like, I'm pretty proud of it, and it just sort of took off. So uh, at the moment, I'm not really working on anything except for um, um, uh, dabbling on, on working on a screenplay for it. Um, I was, we've I was, had, uh, some... We've had some, some, people, some Hollywood people kind of poking around it and um, gotten some press lately about that a little bit. So it's been kind of cool. As as I'm going through the story, I'm like, wow, this would this would just make a great movie, and I'm picturing it in my head with like, you know, you're talking to the boogeyman, and the boogeyman having flashbacks to these earlier times. Oh yeah, it, it just it seems. I was, I was even thinking like Tim, like 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 Nightmare Before Christmas or Corpse Bride or Monster House, you know, that kind of children animated feature would be just amazing. Mm, absolutely. And uh, everybody else was like animated. What are you talking about? So, well, how I mean, how are you going to present these stories otherwise? You know, it's going to be hard to, with some of the the descriptions of these creatures, would be hard to kind of manufacture in a in a quote unquote real world environment. So, you know, I think it, yeah, I think that's a great a way lot to of do CGI, it. and I'm like, they don't do they don't do practical effects anymore. But uh, it'd be really cool to do one with practical effects. But well, uh, I really think the idea of an animated movie would be really not cool. not to put ideas into your your mind when I'm you know to tell you how to do your own own ideas. But you know, maybe eat maybe the different incarnations of the boogeyman are all done in different styles absolutely yeah, yeah i was even thinking like you know an eight like the abc's a death movie you know like you pick 15 uh, directors to make uh, 15 different short films about each one of these uh adventures that he goes in 
Oh, that'd be amazing. So uh, definitely we'll uh, hope hope and pray that that comes out because I, I need to be scared. I need a good scary movie where the ending won't disappoint me. And it sounds like uh, there is no ending in sight for the boogeyman. No, no. All right. He's just waiting for his time to talk again. So, <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Uh, Benjamin Jeffries is his name. The book is Interview with the Boogeyman, A Monster for All Times. We thank you so much for joining us and for fighting with us through the Boogeyman, taking over our phone well, lines. Thank you very, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, all the opportunities. I appreciate all the comments in the chat room and all that. And, um, I hope you guys have a great night. You as well. And uh, and don't don't make sure you keep the closet door closed when you go to sleep tonight. Don't hang over. Don't hang your foot over the bed or any of that stuff. Oh, I, I haven't done that in, in forty years. You don't put your feet over the side of the bed. No, no, before. never. I, I, I've I've often wondered how people can sleep any way except with the covers completely over your head, tucked under, so that none of the monsters can get you. But all right, well, thank you so much. You have a great night. Thank you too. Take care. That is Ben Jeffries. Uh, he is, again, the author of Interview with the Boogeyman, A Monster for All Times. Highly recommend checking it out. It's it's a great read if you like historical background to things, but it's told in a way that's very interesting with this interview format. It's, it's, it's a great book, and I know that our audience would love it. So, again, you can get it from Amazon. You can get it forever, wherever you find books. Uh, it's from Schiffer Publishing, Interview with the Boogeyman, A Monster for All Times. So that about does it for this week's show. We made it through the end of the interview there without any more gremlins getting into the phone line. But uh, we don't want to push our luck too long, so we're going to wrap things up and say goodnight. We'll be back next Saturday night with another great episode of Spooky South Coast. Our guest is going to be Steve Asher. Uh, Steve Asher is going to be joining us to talk about we're going to narrow the focus down quite a bit with next week's show. We're going to talk about the hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. We're going to talk about some of these stories that come from Kentucky. I have some friends that live in Kentucky that tell me about the weird paranormal stuff that goes on out there, and there is a lot of it. So we're going to dig into that with Steve Asher next week. So until then, until we come back with another episode of Spooky South Coast, again, remember you can get every episode that we've ever done. It's all available free of charge. Wherever you find podcasts, that could be iTunes, that could be Stitcher, that could be anywhere, wherever you get iTunes uh, podcast from you can find the spooky south coast podcast you can find the videos up on youtube there's so much we've done over 500 episodes now so much stuff to consume it should certainly keep you busy till next saturday night but we hope to see you back here for the live show interacting with us in the chat room watching on spooky tv because that's when it's the most fun is when we know that we're talking to you directly so until then for matt for matt for stephanie for chris for ashley i'm tim we want you all to stay spooktacular <laughs>